Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. This podcast is brought to you by Enum Berlin, the innovation network for advanced materials. Bringing together the brightest minds in material science, visit us at enum.berlin. Hi, everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Startup the Science. And um, so today we'll be talking to Eike van Voet, a Dutch entrepreneur. Who, by the way, is on Forbes 30 under 30 list. Fancy. Woo-hoo. Okay. How did he get there, you might be asking? Um, he got there by founding VS Particle, and he'll explain in a bit much better than us uh, what they do. But um, first, we figured um, this is also a good time to give you some more background on why we're doing this, why we're interviewing science startups, um, what our background is. So we got some questions about what exactly we do and what is Enum. Thank you for your emails. (laughs) So we thought we'd clarify this for you. So, Christina, what is Enum? (laughs) Well, Enum stands for... The Innovation Network for Advanced Materials. We, I think we say this in our intro as well, um, but maybe you guys don't really know what that is. We're based here in Berlin, Germany. Not the other Berlin, just in case there's any confusion. <laughs> there is one somewhere, I think, in like Texas. Everything's in Texas. <laughs> um, the network is made up of startups, corporates, research institutions, and we're all in it together for the name of advanced (laughs) materials, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it sounds complicated, but it's not that complicated. Um, Everyone who's in the network is in some way interested in materials and material science. And our goal really is to bring together, um, as Christina said, startups, companies, universities, research institutes, so that we can come up with solutions to challenges in the material field. Yeah, collaboration. Collaboration. Boom. And we do that in a lot of different ways. Um, one of those ways is by organizing events throughout the year. And I think our, well, definitely our main event, our yearly highlight is our accelerator program, AdmaCom. Oh, yeah. Actually, Aika, who is the guest on today's show, was a 2017 AdmaCom finalist. Yes. So he'll maybe tell us a bit more about it when we call him. But yeah, hopefully that gives you more of an idea of what Enam is all about. We'll be bringing it up again in future episodes. If we have some news or anything else that's interesting to share, we'll do that. And we're probably going to be bringing up AdmaCom a lot more as we just opened the call for this year's Accelerator program. Yes, so head to www.enum.berlin slash AdmaCom. I will put the link in the description as well. If you go to the website, you can learn all about the program as well as how to apply for it. Woohoo! And now let's get back to our regular scheduled programming and give Aika a call. Hi, Aika, and thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. (laughs) It's really nice to have you uh, on our podcast and just to talk to you again. Honored, to be honest. I'm honored. (laughs) So maybe we'll start with just a quick intro if you want to. So you already said hi, but if you want to say more about who you are and what you do, and then we'll get into all of our questions. Yes. So uh, my name is Eike van Vught. I am uh, exactly 29 years old. And uh, in 2014, I uh, finished my master's degree in chemical engineering at the University of Delft. 
And then I uh, started a big adventure uh, with the name VS Particle. It stands for a very small particle, so it's VS Particle. Oh, I didn't know that's what it stands for. That's nice. So some people say it's VSP Article, but that's not the case. So we don't we are not <laughs> a publisher. Um, <laughs> we, we do something with nanoparticles. That's important to clarify this at at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. So you do something with nanoparticles. Okay, let's... Correct. Uh, we were saying um, before calling you in our intro that what we do at Enam is working with companies of different sizes that are interested in materials and particularly in advanced materials or new materials. And I guess your startup fits very well in that field, which is also why you participated in Admacom. Uh, can we maybe take a step back and talk a bit about advanced materials for all of our listeners who might be a bit confused as to what this is? Um, what what are advanced materials? Why is this interesting? Why should anybody care about advanced materials? This kind of stuff. I think it's even bigger. I think it's not it's not only limited to advanced materials, even though that's like the the next the next era or the next thing that's that is always coming up. But I think materials in general are very very important in in our daily life. I think that's something we don't see or we don't uh, we don't always know. When we are using them, but I think in everything you do in a, in, in a daily in a daily job or in your daily life, uh, I think there are so many different materials that play an important role or are facilitating the things that you want to do. Like this morning, I was cycling to work on my race bike, and and also the aluminum that is specially made for these type of uh, lightweight race bikes, uh, you can say is an advanced material, and it's very useful for me because then my bike is not so heavy, mm-hmm. and I am like five minutes quicker at my work without less sweat. That's a very practical application of a good material, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think we as human beings are always very creative and always want to, to play around and want to explore new possibilities. So in some sense, the field of, of materials or advanced materials is always that part where people are experimenting with new combinations. So they are mixing different materials. They are finding out new fabrication methods to make those materials. Um, and what, what they are especially interested in is if they can create new properties in those materials. So if they can make an aluminum, which is a little bit more stronger, or if they can make an aluminum, which melts at a lower temperature, so then they don't need to process it at very high temperatures during manufacturing. So it's, it's really playing around, same as maybe like small kids in a, um, a sand bank. They are mixing water and sand and then seeing, oh, the, 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 the structure of the sand is different. So now I can build my sand castle more strongly than if it's like this very loose sand. So it's, it's a bit like that, but then more for the adult people and, uh, a, a little bit more complex a little bit more scientific than that the way you explain it makes me want to become a chemist and play with yeah it's <laughs> magic the, the importance especially like at this moment of advanced materials from my point of view there, there are two different segments one is related to biology and one related to inorganic or dead materials as we call it uh, which are the materials that we use to make your iPhone to make your laptop to make your screen to make your uh, whatever technology is in that field uh, so uh, me personally I'm not really involved in the biology part so not synthetic biology or CRISPR-Cas9 or all those very cool and very fancy technologies but we are really focusing on the, the advanced materials in the inorganic field so that are all the minerals that we are getting out of the mines and that we are processing into complex structures as fuel cells, as batteries, as solar cells, as uh, laptops, all those high-tech materials in that field. And at the moment, you see a big shift 
in the way we produce and we use our energy. So we are coming from, or we are still in a fossil fuel driven economy where we are burning billions, maybe trillions. I'm not even sure what the number would be of fossil fuel barrels to get the energy and to use it in our homes, to use it in our transport and to use it in our, our factories to produce. Uh, but what we want to do is to shift into a, a fossil fuel less or uh, even remove it completely, the dependence on fossil fuels um, and switch to renewable energies like solar and wind and maybe use other energy carriers like hydrogen or just electricity and store it in a battery. Um, and in all those aspects which are needed to make the shift, so in fuel cells, in solar cells, in uh, new energy grids and supercapacitors, uh, you see that the, the development of materials is key. The mm -hmm. quality of a battery is directly connected to the quality of the materials. So if you can make a better material, you know that only by doing that, you can make the battery even more effective in storing more energy. Uh, so you see that the functionality of a product is directly related to the, the advancement of the material in it. And that's, that's why it's so important at this moment to keep on uh, accelerating the development of new materials, uh, because then we can accelerate the development of next generation batteries, fuel cells, solar cells, and all these products. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, probably the best explanation we've heard said in a very simple, understandable way of why new materials are important and what changes they can bring to, to all of our lives. So thank you very much for that. So Another way to say is like a, a new solar panel doesn't come from a tree. It doesn't grow <laughs> naturally. It's, it's made by sweat and tears of a lot of scientists that are just trying and playing around and, and figuring out what, what works and what doesn't work. Okay, so the word or rather the prefix nano is being used a lot even in this conversation right now. And for those of us who are not, you know, scientifically inclined or fluent, like myself, I'm, I'm not a scientist, um, would you be able to explain to us what nanomaterials are? Maybe it's nice to say that since 2014, uh, I've been busy with VS Particle and the biggest challenge besides building the company and, and making it sustainable and developing the technology is finding very effective way of explaining like non-scientific people what we are doing and why it's so important that we are doing. So I think I've been practicing for quite some time and I think I've been coming better and better. So the, the best way to explain the potential of nanomaterials is by making a comparison between an atom. An atom is the smallest building unit of a material. So if you zoom in to gold, for example, it's, it's a, a stacked structure of, let's say, gold ping pong balls. It's really a spherical uh, particle, an atom. And then if you make a comparison between a gold atom and a human, I think by explaining the interactions between humans, I can explain uh, how the interactions between the gold atoms uh, are uh, going on and why the properties of those materials are changing if we go to the nanoscale. If you look to humans, let's start with that because that's easy to uh, refer to. Imagine yourself being in an empty room and you're just reading the newspaper, doing some work or whatever you want to do in that room. There's one door and at the moment that door is opening and a second person steps into the room, you will directly see before you have even shaked hands or say hi, that the fact that you are close to each other, there is a direct interaction between both of you. Let's say if there is a, a very sexy Italian lady coming in or if there is a small child coming in or a big Russian guy, that will influence how you are acting in that room. If you are reading the newspaper, if this lady comes in, maybe you will sit more, more upright. Uh, so you will, you will change your behavior depending on the type of person that is coming into that room. 
And that is almost instantaneously. The moment a third person or a fourth person comes in, you will see that the same shift will happen, but not only to you, also to the other people that are already in the room. So the, the behavior in some sense of the group of people in that room is determined by the people in the room. So what type of people are there, the amount of people that are there. You can also imagine if that room is filled up until 30, 40, that the impact of a new person is less and less. If you look into the, uh, the size of a festival field with 20,000 people, it doesn't really matter if there is a new person coming into the field or not. The average property of this big group, this big mass of people, will not change. Only if it's the DJ that is uh, starting a, a new song. So, so in the beginning, there's a very big change. With the two of you, you are really effectively changing the uh, behavior of both of you. Um, but if you are uh, in high numbers, then it doesn't really matter. Exactly the same is happening with gold atoms. So if I take one gold atom, it has certain physical properties. And physical properties are the temperature uh, at which the material starts to melt, the temperature at which the material starts to evaporate, the, the way it conducts electrons. So if it's conducting or if it's not conducting, the way it conducts heat. Uh, some materials uh, transport heat very effectively. Some are more isolating in respect to heat. The way it interacts with light. Does it absorb light? Does it reflect light? Does it change the light? All those properties that you, in some sense, can measure on the outside of the material, that are the physical properties of the material. So if I have one gold atom, it has certain physical properties, and those we can measure because it's a simple structure. The moment I attach a second gold atom to it, you will see a direct interaction between the two gold atoms, similar to the two people in the room. And the fact that they have this interaction, this connection together, makes them appear different to the outside world. So their physical properties are shifting, are changing. If I attach a third gold atom to it, the same will happen. With gold, this change of physical properties continues until I have a particle the size of 20,000 gold atoms. That's roughly. It's not exactly 20,000, but it's roughly that order of magnitude. Then you will see that gold has found, let's say, some kind of an equilibrium, and it doesn't change anymore. So if I go beyond that point, so if I make the particles bigger, then gold is always gold, the same as we always see it. Mm -hmm. So a festival feeling in the, in the gold world is around 20,000. Okay. Yeah, so so in, in, the human, in the human era or in the human space, we have sociology, which explains the behavior of big structures of humans. So how do they move in a, in a train station? We have psychology that looks at the single human. Why does it react? Why does it make certain decisions? And we have, let's say, team dynamics, where we are interested in learning how we can make a team more effective in doing a certain task or in performing a certain job. And that same we have in, in the materials field. We have, uh, let's say, the macroscopic materials, let's say, alloying, uh, if you want to make a more stronger steel, then you are mixing in some carbon on a very large scale, um, and then you're making bulk materials. We have, let's say, the quantum type of, of research where you're really looking to single atoms, to, to how they are performing, how we can change them. Uh, like nuclear reactions is also in that field where you can like submerge two uh, atoms together and then th that creates energy. And then we have, let's say, the field of nanomaterials. You are playing with the size of the material, so with the number of atoms, to change the properties of the material. Everybody thinks gold is always gold. There's only one type. That's true. If you look at it from our perspective, we always see gold in a very big state. Even the smallest gold grain that we can see is still trillions of atoms together. So we are not even close to the, to the, to the 
phase of 20,000 atoms or smaller. Uh, so that's all, always where, why we see gold as gold, iron as iron, copper as copper, and all the other elements. Because we're not looking closely enough. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and what a lot of researchers are doing is they chop up gold into these very small gold nanoparticles, and then they play with their size, and then they are, by trial and error, figuring out which exactly which size, which gold nanoparticle they can use in their product to, for example, if they apply it to a solar panel, they want to absorb a broader spectrum of their solar light to harvest more energy and to create more free electrons for, for powering devices. So you've already kind of started mentioning this, but um, can you take us into some of the applications of nanoparticles? So there are numerous. Any, any product, so like a 3D plastic spoon, yeah, there's no real use of nanoparticles, you can imagine. It's just mm -hmm. a, a physical three-dimensional object that you are using because of its shape. Um, any product that has more or needs more functionality than just a shape, uh, so I-beam that is used in the construction of a building, there's no real use of nanoparticles. But the moment you have uh, aluminum uh, wing of an airplane and you want to integrate some sensors, for example, into this, uh, this airplane, then you are adding some materials that have a different functionality than just a structure functionality because they need to conduct electrons, they need to measure certain deformation of the aluminum, they need to measure certain temperature. The moment when there are, let's say, smart materials in the product, uh, you can almost say that there's a function of the nanoparticle. Mm -hmm. So we have researchers applying nanoparticles on solar panels. We have researchers applying nanoparticles on batteries. We have researchers applying nanoparticles on uh, new sensors, gas sensors, on new bioelectronics. We even have projects where they are using iron nanoparticles to find a new cure for tumors, for cancer. They're even using iron nanoparticles to make targeted drug delivery systems. So they attach the drug to the nanoparticle, then use electrical fields to move it around into the body. And then by doing that, they can uh, very effectively get the drugs only at the location where they want it instead of the whole body. So any material-related application, from my perspective, will be impacted by uh, this field. That's amazing. And I guess that takes us closer to specifically what VS Particle does. And yeah, tell us all about it. What do you guys do? What are your main products, applications? What are you most excited about? Yeah, so, so a scientist, a researcher in general, he knows or he's working on a certain application, a battery, a fuel cell, or a solar panel. And he knows how this product works from the material point of view. He knows how, what are the, the properties he needs to make this product even better. And what he wants to do is, is find the right particle that has that specific set of properties that he needs to make a better product. The only problem at this stage is that there is no table, there is no book that describes all the properties of all those nanoparticles. Coming back to the, to the amount of different nanoparticles that there are, you can imagine already in, only in gold, you can say there are 20,000 different gold particles which have slightly different physical properties. Um, there are also 20,000 different copper particles that have slightly different properties. The moment you start mixing particles with copper and gold atoms, you can imagine that gold and copper atoms have different interactions in between each other, same as a Chinese lady and a Russian guy, Chinese lady and an Italian guy. So even if you are starting to mix elements together in those nanoparticles, so have a, a particle of 20 gold and 20 copper atoms, you can imagine that, that the physical properties will be slightly different. Looking at the amount of elements that we can mix, looking at the amount of, of sizes we can make, 
there is an infinite table. There's a never-ending table of particles of a certain size with a certain composition, uh, which will have a certain set of physical properties. To say it in another way, Fierce Particle is making machines that automate the production of these nanoparticles. We can make a big factory with a, a billion of our machines. We can uh, set them all um, or program them to make new particles today, and they will never stop making new <laughs> particles with certain properties that we don't know today. And so is it like one big giant experiment where you're playing around and seeing what type of particles you're going to get? Or how do you sort of program them to do what you want them to do, to have the properties you need them for, to have for different applications? I think, I think especially exactly this question that you are answering or that you are, are proposing is, is the challenge of researchers. They don't know exactly which nanoparticles they need. So they are looking around in research. Some other people have already uh, tested some particles and then they are trying to build on top of it. Uh, but in most cases, what they want to make is a graph where they have particles of different sizes or they test samples with particles of different sizes on one axis. And on the other axis, they have the, the physical property that they are looking for. In, for example, the field of catalysis, it's the conversion rate of your catalyst. How much molecules A can it process to molecules B? in a certain time period. And then you will see that the, 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 this activity of this catalyst will change depending on the particle size. Um, and to make this graph, scientists are looking for methods to make samples with nanoparticles of very well-defined sizes. And that's the problem. At the moment, scientists don't really have the right tools to make those nanoparticles very effectively. We speak with so many PhD students that are spending months or even years of their PhD research in, in optimizing their, in most cases they use wet chemistry synthesis, their wet chemistry synthesis to make or to, to develop a recipe, chemistry synthesis recipe, to make a particle of a certain size and get that particle into their product. All right. And is this where VS Particle comes in? Is this the problem that you guys are solving? Yeah, this is exactly the problem that we are solving. So... A little bit of background on Fierce Particle. It's, it's a technology developed at the University of Delft. And one of the reasons why we, we started the company is that th this technology is not using wet chemistry synthesis to make nanoparticles. It's using a gas-based uh, method to evaporate materials. And then out of this evaporated material, we condense or we, we form these very small nanoparticles in a gas phase. So there's no liquid involved. And when I started my, my master thesis in the research group where this technology was developed. Already in, I think, half a morning of um, explanation, I was able to tweak the knobs of the machine, of that like prototype machine, and I was able to get close to the, to the nanoparticle that I was interested in. And when I was visiting conferences, and not only me, also my co-founder, uh, our current CTO, Tobias Pfeiffer, we always saw all those other scientists or most of the others, it's not all, other scientists struggling with complex synthesis and uh, yeah, suboptimal results. And we always thought, just come by, we will make the particles, get them onto your, your sample, and then you can continue your work. Uh, so there we already experienced that what we had already in the lab, we could drastically help them, help the other researchers in getting the right nanoparticle and speeding up their research. And that intrinsic motivation we had in the beginning was also the reason why we founded VS Particle to make the prototype system we had in the lab accessible to all the other researchers. So it should be simple to use, it should be easy to install, it should be 
uh, enabling researchers to make their nanoparticles within a few hours instead of a few months or even a few years. So that's, that's what this particle does. We design and we develop high-tech machines uh, and we sell them worldwide to researchers at this moment where they can use our systems to make their desired nanoparticle within the hour instead of uh, spending months of complex chemistry to make those nanoparticles themselves. That's amazing. And VS Particle has been quite successful so far, um, and so have you with it. Do you want to tell us a bit about the, um, the life of your startup so far? What was the most challenging? What was the most satisfying moment you had so far? If you say the most challenging, um, I, I think the whole journey is, is a big challenge, but we are very eager and that's dedicated to, to solve it. So, yeah, we, we, we don't see things or problems that, that arise as really as a problem. We only see them as a small hurdle that we want to conquer as quickly as possible. I think what is really challenging in the early status of uh, such a high-tech company where you are making complex machines is, yeah, it's not an app that you are able to develop in three months and then scale quickly. It's really a complex technology, so it takes already quite some time before you are able to sell the first machine, before you're able to show the real validation into the market. So that's also why I'm really glad that in the Netherlands, yeah, there are, but probably also in, in most of the other European countries, there are quite some governmental subsidies to really help these uh, high-tech companies in the first few phases of uh, the company. So we... The first two years, we have been busy developing the machine to the state where we can really ship it worldwide and mass produce it. Um, and that development we have been doing on uh, government subsidies and loans. And with the, this, the, the first successful sales, so we, we sold to three systems, all in the Netherlands, we were able to acquire uh, an investment from Invaco Management. Um, and that's the investment that we are now using to really broaden our product portfolio uh, to strengthen our sales and distribution system worldwide and uh, make this step towards industrial production. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because these are the challenges that we see with pretty much all of the deep tech or high-tech startups that we would work with, um, where obviously you need a lot more than just a laptop and a co-working space. You need more time, you need more money at the early stage to develop a prototype and a product that's ready to go to market. And I think it's we're partially what we are trying to doing, what we're trying to do as well is to raise awareness on why it's important to support high-tech startups in a different way than you would a software or a services startup. I think you're a very, very good example of uh, of how that's happened and yeah, how you've become successful despite having a product that is hard to explain. Uh, maybe non-scientists will find it harder to grasp. But I'd imagine it's the same with investors. Now when you're trying to, yeah, when you're trying to get investment or explain it to an investor who's not a scientist, it's always a bit of a challenge. That's, that's correct. So it's only a small amount of investors, I would say, dairy enough to, to really invest in, let's say, material-based startups. Coming back to what you just said, that's also why I really like the Enum program and also the Abmacom uh, advanced materials competition and, and why I really want to support it and help it as much as I can because I think it, it's a really important field and it's one it's more challenging but on the other side the impact can be much bigger than uh, let's say an app that delivers the pizza quicker to your door. All right I think those are pretty much all of our questions for you today it was a very very interesting conversation and I think we all learned a lot so thank you very much for your time, your uh, very clear way of explaining science to non-scientists. 
I'm sure we'll see you again. We're very grateful to have you at this year's AdmaCom as a mentor again, if you'd like to come. Um, yeah. So before we say goodbye, though, is uh, there a website or an email that you want to plug? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the best thing is to go to our website if you want to know more, www.vsparticle.com uh, or, or send me a, a message on LinkedIn. Uh, or if people have other questions or, or want to get in contact with me, I think it's also fine if they contact you, Enum, and then you forward it to me. I'm always open to give feedback or to help or to support startups or people in this field. That's true. We can confirm that you were a very good mentor last year. You were as well. definitely a fan favorite last year. Thank you very much, Aiko, for your time. Uh, we'll keep an eye on your startup for sure, and we'll we'll be in touch soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enum.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time. 